Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, and welcome. My name is Justin, and his name is Matthew. Yes, it is. And this is Out of the Woods, a Yellow Jackets podcast. And uh, today, we are discussing episode number five of season one. And uh, yeah, that should be good, because this is a very interesting and very spooky and ooky and cool episode. Now, Matthew, how are you feeling this evening? Very well. How are you feeling? <laughs> it's good. Just had some nice uh, pizza and garlic bread. Good stuffs of champions. <laughs> Quite. <laughs> could describe them in really weird ways, like a lozenge of garlic bread or whatever. That was funny. A single sheaf loaf. <laughs> Beautiful. Okay. Well, yeah, that was that was good. And um, we've been talking about our new movies we wanted to see. Uh, Crimes of the Future by David Cronenberg. It's out in the US. You, dear listener, if you were in that or another country, might have already seen it. But we haven't. It's not out in Australia yet. I really want to see that movie. Yeah, me too. You know, a, a, a David Cronenberg case to movie? Like, Jesus Christ, man. Oh, that'd be so good. They won't let us see it, though, the bastards. <laughs> I'm sure they will. Eventually. And yes, appropriately enough, we're also discussing a weird and creepy and disturbing episode of a show that is often weird and creepy and disturbing. Uh, episode 5, Blood Hive. And this episode was directed by Ava Sorhog, written by Ashley Lyle, Bart Nickerson, and Ameni Rosa, which is an also an interesting name. Uh, Matthew, what did you think of this episode? Good. Yeah. I liked it too. I like this episode quite a bit. It is the sort of episode that I think we might look back on in a season or two's time, be like, man, they set up a lot of stuff in this episode. It is really good. It is overloaded with plot and crazy scenes. Is such a good episode. I am a lot more favorable towards this one than last week's episodes, and I really can't wait to get into it. And uh, yeah, uh, just to let you peek behind the curtain, listeners, my notes for this episode are literally three times as long as those first previous episode. So yeah, uh, buckle in. And uh, just before we start, let me say, as I always do, that this is not, repeat not, a spoiler-free podcast, although we'll be discussing episode 5 primarily in this episode. The entire rest of the season is fair game, so you have been warned. And, uh, yeah. Okay, let's get into it. I think I like about this episode, just to start us off, is that the characters are out of immediate danger. Because episode 1 is pre-crash, episode 2 is the actual crash, episode 3 is finding shelter and water, and episode 4 is finding food. So all of that has been taken care of. You know, things can slow down a little bit as the new status quo of life is set up, but they're out of immediate danger. That is incredibly interesting to me in the kind of new society that they build and its new rules and its new imperatives, particularly certain people that were adept at navigating the old society are not so good at this one. Mm, I'm looking at you, Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we will get into that. We will extremely get into that. And uh, yeah. Oh, oh, just some uh, notes from last week's episode clarifying. Maple tree syrup. <laughs> uh, now this is quoting from the, the Maple Syrup Cultivation Organization of Canada. The five steps involved from start to finish are preparing for the season, determining when to tap, identifying the trees to be tapped and tapping them, collecting the sap, and processing, boiling, evaporating it, filtering, grading, and packing the syrup. 
That sounds pretty involved, doesn't it? Pretty, yeah. No, I, I saw They didn't even cover watering it down with like sugar syrup or something to bulk it out so that they don't have to, you know, mine as much tree gunk. Is that a common practice? Oh, uh, if you watch those conspiracy movies, it is. How sad. Anyway, well, yeah. Uh, so basically, Laura Lee could not have gotten maple syrup out of those trees and had it be particularly edible, apparently. Mm. So anyway, the episode begins in the cabin in 1996, and the whole gang is uh, doing some crazy dance moves as they listen to a Walkman play This Is How We Do It by Montel Jordan. Matthew, I'm not even going to ask you what you thought of this song. Good. <laughs> yeah, so the Yellow Jackets, uh, minus Misty, and plus Harvey, you know, he's getting down to it, do a series of dance moves to this song, including the Running Man and the Bart Simpson, the latter of which was not one I had encountered before. And the first time I watched this episode, I thought, oh, okay, this must be the universally recognized sociocultural mainstay, this is how we do it dance that everyone was doing back in 96. Uh, okay, okay. But later researchers informed me that this is not in fact the case, and this is not a recognized dance number. Oh, is it not? No, no, yeah, I, 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 yeah, no, I, I had the same thought, but yeah, no, it's, they're, just, they're just freestyling it. I could have sworn I've heard people say that before, like as a, as a dance that they do. This is how we do it, dance? Oh, no, I thought you meant the Bart Simpson. Oh, no. Uh, <laughs> okay, so that, that leaves me almost no less confused, because what does the Bart Simpson involve? Oh, I have no idea. <laughs> Perhaps maybe there's the do the Bart man dance, is maybe that what you're thinking more of? I'd, I don't think I was. Okay, well, <laughs> regardless, they're doing a dance, and they're getting really into it, having a great time. Great choreography. I have to say, uh, Coach is snapping his fingers to the beat rather adorably, and even Travis, who is seated next to him, can't quite manage to look dismissive about it. So that's how you know it's good. And I have to say, I think this has got to be some sort of pre- or post-game ritual they did pre-crash, you know? They shouldn't have... You wouldn't assume they'd have choreographed such activities in the woods. But hey, maybe. You know, such activities are vital for staying sane, like sing-alongs. Yeah. If, if you were trapped in the wilderness, what song do you think you would like to engage in a group sing-along with? <laughs> well, black metal's kind of out, isn't well, it? <laughs> depends on who you get trapped with. Uh, yeah, good point. <laughs> I'd like to think that uh, someone overhearing the resultant <laughs> screaming would actually be able to decipher <laughs> what we were screaming about. Some, some random Norwegian farmer being like, oh, it is the devilish possessed screaming trees of autumn. I will leave them alone and not call this rescue helicopter. Yeah, no, I'm going to settle with uh, no, no comment. Yeah, yeah, I'd probably go uh, mind by system of a down. Sorry. Interesting choice. Yeah. Anyway, the audio cuts out, unfortunately, in the middle of the amusing revelry, and Van tries to hit it to get it to work again, but to no avail, she comments, has hitting something ever fixed it? <laughs> Which, that fixed my old computer a lot, actually. Yeah, I guess it just depends if you're the Fonz or not. <laughs> <laughs> that is not even the first Happy Days reference we have in this podcast. And uh, Mari suggests maybe try blowing on it. I love Mari. Van takes his advice, but to no avail. And just when he thought that was the worst thing that was going to happen, a mysterious creaking noise emanates from the attic. As you do. As you do. And they all react to that, and Lottie is like, you heard it too? An interesting line that kind of tells you she is for a while been hearing things that nobody else can and oh i love bossily skeptical tie she's like not only do i not believe in the supernatural but nobody else is allowed to either <laughs> yes <laughs> she's like it was probably just a branch and then mari quite reasonably rejoins inside on the floor and then okay that jackie's like okay then there was a rat or a possum which I've expected. I guess they're not that starving yet, because in later episodes they'd be like, "Sweet, let's kill it and eat it." 
<laughs> and then uh, Nat says, oh, maybe it was the the dead guy's missing fingers trying to find their way home. Everybody, like, goes, uh, at this. And then Ty's like, you really have to encourage them. But, you know, smiling as she said it so seemingly. She and Nat are on the same page about the supernatural. She also says that line later in the episode in a similar context. <laughs> and then, uh, yeah, Ty is... Oh, I love Ty in this episode. And then Coach Ben tries to get a handle on the situation and says, you know what I think it was? I think the ghost decided it was time to get some sleep, and we should probably do the same. And so they do. And so the next morning, Misty is approaching a sleeping Ben in his room. And as the music swells, so does his schlong. Because Ben is packing some morning wood. You know, he's the dude is bringing some heat. Like, dude, congrats on the pipe. <laughs> like, he's got, you know, he's he's got some stuff happening in that region. Good for him. Anyway, uh, Misty is attracted to this and leans ever closer towards it and reaches out to touch the forbidden scepter of man flesh. And then Coach wakes up and gasps in terror and goes, Do not fucking touch me, Misty! Which, fair. <laughs> and she just kind of runs out of the rooms. Yeah, it's just a creepy as hell scene that shows you that she has no sense of boundaries, something that did not change in the 25 years since the crash, as we will see. And side note, this is a cross on the wall of the cabin. Was was Cabin Guy a believer, or did the cabin belong to someone else initially, I wonder? How interesting. Again, I'm eternally fascinated by Cabin Guy. I want to find out more about him. Anyway, uh, moving on. Nat wakes Jackie up with up and at him or something. <laughs> Which I love as a line. It's like she aggressively cannot commit to anything. And she's like, no, I have cramps. And she's like, yeah, we all have cramps. They all have cramps because their periods have synced up. Which... I believe it's a myth. You know? Yeah, well, so you seem to indicate. Have Have you heard any information on this one way or the other? Not like concrete information. No, no. I believe it's a myth. It's just, you know. I haven't been reading the med medical journal recently. No. The, the myth is that they'll sink to some sort of alpha female that pre-crash would probably have been Jackie, but is definitely not anymore. So, outside, Van and Laura Lee be doing laundry, and Ty is chopping firewood with Nat, which I imagine Van finds hot. And then Jackie is directed to Bloody Soldiers, which is the pots of pads that are boiling on the left, breakfast on the right. And I would not have those things too close to each other. No, and you she's... wouldn't want to mix them up, would you? Well, she says, don't mix them up like Travis did. <laughs> which, according to the logic of the movie Midsommar, which I just watched recently, that means he will become attracted to whoever's, you know, odd blood he ate. Oh, so what, you're telling me if he just drank deep of the hearty broth, he'd just, you know, get the hots for every chick there? I mean, again, according to the deranged logic of that movie, yes. <laughs> just just make him a pube cake. Anyway, uh, he's like, oh, you guys are disgusting, and Akila tells him to shut up, but, like, affectionately. So you can see that he's become somewhat more accepted by the group and somewhat less of a, you know, dong slot. Jackie is about to get some grub, but then a wild Mari appears and shoves a bucket at her and says, How about getting some water? Breakfast isn't going anywhere. So yeah, Mari has officially exited the one-member Jackie fan club. Yeah. Well, I suppose technically it has herself still in it, but I think she even resigns her membership from that close to the end of the season. The Shauna <laughs> notices this interaction. So Jackie walks down to the lake and notices Lottie standing in the lake creepily as cool music is playing. And I have to say point out for the sake of fairness that Lottie is also not really helping anything you know I guess Jackie is just a more satisfying target to dislike and plus in this episode Lottie uh, gains another reputation so we say and so Jackie says aren't you cold and Lottie says yes I thought it'd be warmer 
which is terrifying. She's out of the lake, looking out at the horizon, and she says she thought it'd be warmer. Is she seeing the future? Is she seeing a certain very warm event that happens in that direction later on in the season? I love Jackie's slightly confused yet deadpan right in response to the statement so yeah jackie is struggling with the bucket as she makes her way back to the cabin apparently she does not have a lot of upper body strength not, not a lot of ubs no more just uh, the... plenty of ibs yeah <laughs> i mean i imagine they all do yeah she's more based on uh, exercising the leg department van looks at ty make fun of Lee towards jackie as if to say oh look at this bitch and this is interesting ty shakes her head slightly in response to say don't make fun of her it's interesting because later on in the season, Ty becomes more sympathetic to Jackie for various reasons. But at this point, she's still kind of, you know, I think she just kind of wants to keep, at this point, it's just wanting to keep the group together and wanting to plug any leaks, as it were, in the social dam. So yeah, Sean offers her a hand and Jackie's like, why are you so chipper? Don't you have a blood sacrifice between your legs like the rest of us? And Shauna says that she is late and Jackie says, lucky you're a virgin or we'd really have to worry. Ouch. <laughs> Fucking ouch, Jax. Shauna looks worried. Um, I gotta say, I I don't really hate Jackie. I find her to be an interesting and fairly sympathetic character, but watching this episode, I kind of understand why some people do. She's sort of laying on the, you know, little twatish comments in this episode, or at least this bit of this episode, quite thickly. Anyway, uh, Shauna looks worried, both about her periodic situation and uh, Jackie's gradual alienation from the group. And we cut to modern day where Sean is texting Adam, who apparently wants to be punished, which I don't think is that much of a surprise, and she burns some toast, and Callie walks in and is a twat about this event. She's like, oh, I was, don't worry, I was trying to cut back on carbs anyway. <laughs> you're like you're like 17 if you're making your own damn breakfast, you know? And she informs Sean about an Uber pre-auth on her account because she is going into the city with Cleo and Lynn. It is Halloween, and Sean says, I, I'm sorry, did you mean to phrase that as a question? <laughs> which is amazing and Callie says that she does not want to stay there for Halloween because she does not want to sit on the porch in some 90s character costume that nobody even remembers and then Shauna says the people who matter recognize Daria okay so Shauna cosplaying Daria is amazing uh Callie not having heard of the great show of Daria means that further proof that she sucks yeah no uh, not not about to say the thing I was about to say that it mm. alienate all of the young people as well. <laughs> we, we've hit hit enough demographics. <laughs> Admirable restraint, my friend. So that that brings another another question, which is what Yellowjacket's character is which Daria character? You know, Brittany. Brittany is Jackie, obviously. Uh, That's an easy one. Yeah, yeah. Is is Sean a Daria or is someone else Daria? Mm. I think Nat is probably Jane. Is there any is there anyone for Van to be? Hmm. Maybe. To, oh no. no. Ty is Helen. Ty is definitely Helen. You know, overachieving person who achieves to fill the void inside themselves. Yep, yep, yep. It's Misty. Oh, is any... Honestly, up... Okay, hot take coming at you. Upchuck? <laughs> like, I know it's not a perfect fit, but they both have the sort of romantic strategy of if I try a hundred times, 99 times, they'll say no, but that one... <laughs> Okay, I'm sure. Kind of gun logic there. Precisely, beautifully phrased. I'm, I'm, I'm sure we'll we could have a bonus episode of parallels between Yellow Jackets and Daria. Anyway, can't wait for that one. Jeff appears and says, "Ari, Callie, you shouldn't be so hard on her." Which, what the fuck? Shauna correctly says, "Our daughter is an asshole." <laughs> 
And she's like, I don't understand why I'm the only one in this family who thinks that actions should have consequences. Which again, as I have said before, because other Yellow Jackets have said some variation on this phrase in the present, a very, very interesting thing for you guys to believe, given your past actions. Mm. And Jeff is like, do you really need to go to this book club thing tonight? So a potential reading of this scene is that he suspects that it's not actually that, and he's trying to sort of call her bluff, but, well, we'll see. And he suggests that they go together, and she's like, you haven't done the reading. He's like, well, you know, what are you reading? Lay it on. And she's like, they're reading The Girl in the Train Window. Oh, I think I've seen that movie. (laughs) You've probably seen the woman across the street from the house across the window, Wood Street. What? With Kirsten Bell? Precisely. Excellent. Anyway, (laughs) that's just such a, like, we asked an AI to write a book for basic 30-something people to read. And they did. Yes. And they will continue to do so for their various purposes. And Shauna says that he doesn't want to come because it will be the opposite of a sausage fest. And he's like, a clam bake. And he's like, no, no, you don't need to do that. (laughs) Good try, though. An extremely cute and funny uh, interaction between them. They do have amazing chemistry despite their current marital problems. And Jeff says that he can appease the local goblin community alone this year. Which, lol. Cut to Natalie in the present. She is watching a TV program about UFOs in her hotel room, which is basically the dream. And she's wearing a Pink Floyd shirt, which, I mean, talking about this, what I wouldn't have thought she'd be into Pink Floyd, you know? No, it doesn't seem like the most obvious. But, I mean, they are very good. They are very good, yeah. I, I, fig- I figure Nat is a The Wall and Wish You Were Here girl. Yeah. I, 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 mean, I, I mean, the latter of those has a dude on fire on the album. Yeah, album, yeah. So, you know, I... I that makes sense. I can't really imagine her getting down with like more or Amagama or Obscured by Clouds. No, not really. All those or, albums, or even the Division Bell or anything. Uh, hey, what's the one that's uh, it, the final cut? Is the one that is all about Roger Waters' daddy issue? So she probably gets really down on that <laughs> one. No, I changed my mind. That's probably her favorite. Anyway, <laughs> bizarre digression over. Kevin rings her and informs her that Travis's toxicology report was clean. And he hopes that it'll help her rest easier, that he might have been suicidal, but at least he didn't relapse. And then he offers to hang out again, which, you know, nice one, Kev. Smooth, keep it cash. She says she's getting another call. She isn't, and blows him off. And he sighs, you know, poor guy. As uh, Chris Isaac would say, give me a sign or let me know we're through if you don't love me like I love you. Deep, man. Yeah. Misty who we cut to also in the present, is dressed as one of the cats from Cats, because of course she is, because this is Halloween at her workplace, and Nat rings her and says that uh, she wishes for Misty to contact her guy to break into Kevin's email, and then some small children, one of whom is dressed as a doctor, are trick-or-treating in the Aldo's home and complaining that it is boring. I don't know why they're doing so during the day, but whatever. And she pranks said children by turning off the EEG machine, or EKG machine, I can never remember, of the elderly Aldo lady that is next to her and says, Doctor, doctor, and come here and help. And then they run away screaming. She either does not realize that this will scar them for life or more likely does not care. <laughs> Dude, I fucking love Misty. I used to be disappointed that BuzzFeed designated me as her, but I'm just going to embrace it. Yeah, she's batshit. She is batshit. And you're also Lottie, according to BuzzFeed, so... What a great podcast we make. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I have a logistical question about this scene. Was that a real, like, EKG machine? And if so, was that lady just 
already dead? Well, I, I don't know. Or, or I... can you just plug one of those into the wall and it will show a pulse or whatever? No, this is yet another thing we should know well, more about. Yeah, I don't know. You you would have thought if you turned the damn machine off, instead yeah. of displaying like a flat line, it'd just turn off. Yeah, no, I... Right. Look, uh, dearest listeners, if any of you know more about these machines than we do, which is not difficult, please write in and tell us how that would work logistically. Anyway, a card back to the past. As Shauna is squatting to urinate and grabs her chest region, apparently experiencing some pain in that sort of quadrant, and she uh, goes over to the bloody deer carcass that is hanging upside down above a bucket of blood, much like the bar that Mr. Staggerly liked to visit. So Shauna dips a pad in some blood from the deer carcass to fake having an odd. And Ty bursts in at this moment and looks curiously at her, and they're like, sorry, I was just, no, it's fine. And you can see the cogs turning in Ty's brain. She's like, hmm, why would she need to fake having a having an odd? Unless... <laughs> anyway, cut from that to modern Ty, where she is interacting with somebody on the phone, and Simone is in the room, and she gets off the call. And she informs her wife that she is trailing by 20 points in the suburbs. Now, another thing that only I give a shit about, it's a state senate seat. Those are tiny. You know, like, because it's, it's state, like, it's only one state. The individual electorates are so small. They would cover maybe a suburb. How the fuck is there are the suburbs? You know? It's, uh, I'm not a politics guy. No, the show cannot seem to decide whether she is running for state or federal. And Ty laments her inability to kiss that twatish lady from the previous episode's rich old liberal ass. And Simone says, well, you've never been good at being anything but yourself. How very right you are, Simone. They kiss, and it's adorable. God damn it, these actresses have amazing chemistry. It's a pity that their relationship between the characters is ultimately doomed. <laughs> because they are really cute together. And unfortunately, Biscuit Vag blocks them by growling. And uh, Ty hears a, a strange howling in the distance. And she's like, do you hear that? Simone does not hear that. How interesting. How interesting that previously in the episode, Lottie was hearing something that others don't hear in the past. And now Ty is in that position. Hmm. How the worm turns. Uh, Ty sees a wolf on the street outside the window. God, they are hammering home the wolf theme with her. Like, she's seen wolves, hallucinatory wolves, on, like, three separate occasions now. Like, guys, we get it. She grabs a letter opener and walks outside, ordering Simone to keep the dog inside. As she always does in a crisis, giving orders, which, like, <laughs> she was going to attack a wolf with a letter opener. Yeah. Oh, my God, I love Ty so much. She's probably a bit outmatched, but, you know, you've got to give her points for trying. Precisely. Quick question. Yes, my friend. So, does Lottie end up eating dirt as well, or is that just Ty? So far, that is just Ty. But okay. Lottie will be eating, I'm sure, many interesting things <laughs> as we go along. I honestly think Lottie kind of transcends sexuality. She's not like gay or straight or bi. She is just Lottie. She is her own category. So she's not even asexual. She's no. She's made her own category of sexuality. She is all of them and none. Oh. She is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end. Everywhere and nowhere. Yeah. That's beautiful, man. Anyway, there's amazing facial acting from Tawny Cypress as she goes outside to discover there is no wolf. But 
Somebody has written spill in big block capitals uh, on the outside of her house in red paint. The, the anguish and the confusion and rage in her expression is amazing. Tony Cypress continues to be an absolute legend. Back in the past, Jackie is trying to fix the Walkman, which I have to say is not exactly a priority one activity. And, and as you pointed out, the batteries are probably dead, so whacking it is not going to do anything. Yeah, no matter how many times you reorient the, like... Mm where you put in the batteries, they're not going to turn into better batteries. <laughs> if only. Shauna walks over to her and says, thanks for jinxing me, and takes out her conspicuous bloody pads, if to say, see, I'm getting my odd, therefore I am not pregnant with your boyfriend's baby and everything is fine. Ty sees this exchange and puts two and two together. The others all scowl at Jackie because she is just doing the stuff with the batteries when they're supposed to be doing more important things, and Shauna forcibly drags Jackie away from them. Ty watches them both leave with interest, and we cut to Shauna showing Jackie how to debone a bloody deer shoulder. She finds this gross, which is fair, but, you know, it's got to be done. And Jackie's like, yeah, I'm not doing that. And Shauna's like, well, you have to do something. You can't keep not pitching in. You know, people are noticing. Apparently Jackie didn't notice people noticing, so, you know... No. Much vaunted influence appears to have left her. And then Jackie says, why am I the only one not getting off on this boring back-to-the-land bullshit? And it's like, they're not getting off on it, Jackie. They're just doing it because they have no choice, you know? Yeah, they're doing it so that they can, like, continue to live. Precisely. And, like, like I sympathize with her because I would also hate the situation. I'd be like, oh, my God, I would sacrifice one of my limbs to just read a funny article on the internet. But, you know, I... <laughs> I sympathize with her, don't get me wrong, but, like, dude, sometimes needs must, you know? She begins to break down, and so she doesn't know how much longer she can keep doing this. It's a really amazing acting from Ella Purnell. And then Shauna embarks on her attempt to cheer Jackie up. She starts telling a bizarre story about a, I think, teammate of theirs named Kiffy. Not Kitty, Kiffy. That indescribably cannot be a real name. That is the name of a fucking Pokemon. That's that sound a little harsh. If you, listener, are named or know someone who is named Kiffy, write in and explain what the like history and etymology of that name is, what nationality is. Because I'm thinking it sounds extremely sort of waspy, but, you know, maybe did, not. Did not expect you to watch Pokemon. <laughs> I, I, I didn't, but I know they have weird names. Oh, well, there you go. Good enough, then. Very much so. And then... Jackie, after this kiffy person broke her arm, they could not go to a theme park. So instead, they crashed bingo at some place called the Elks Lodge. That sounds less fun to me than a theme park. Like, is bingo a fun activity? No. No, I, w I wouldn't think so. But And like, the Elks Lodge, that just makes me think of the Black Lodge from Twin Peaks. <laughs> that would be an interesting process. That would be an interesting bingo. Jackie's like, this strange little man keeps talking backwards forwards to me. <laughs> I feel like Jackie and Laura Palmer could actually hang out. They'd probably have a lot in common. I think they could, you know, chill. Well, they're both blonde. Both die. Yep. Warned you at the outset about spoilers, listener. Anyway, um, <laughs> they're both misunderstood by the people around them, I think. Mm, Shauna also could. Anyway, no more tangents. And then... What? Temporarily, no more tangents. And Jackie's like, is this a pep talk? And says that that is so not Shauna's style. And she's like, yeah, tell me about it. Cheering people up is your thing. I'm better at... And Jackie supplies... Making people feel judged? Ooh, cutting up dead things. And it's like, dude, Jackie, please, like, 
she never really intends to like seriously hurt someone's feelings, but she's constantly making all these comments that are just slightly annoying or slightly getting under your skin. It's like the death of a thousand cuts, you know. Yeah. To be clear, the rational response to that is not to have sex with her boyfriend. It would be to confront her on it. That's still inexcusable. But, you know, it would be kind of hard being her friend for various reasons that are not really based around her being malicious. So yeah, she says that Shauna is kind of turning into a badass out here, which, yes. And then Shauna, oh, this is very interesting. Shauna says that Jackie taught her how to be like this. I think if she did, she did so only by providing a negative example. Mm. I'm shitting on Jackie on this episode. I don't, I don't mean to shit on you, Jackie. I'm sorry. I sympathize with you a lot. And then Shauna says that you make people feel like things are going to be okay just by showing up and being your dumb, hot, awesome self. At least you always did that for me. And for the people in the fandom who think that Shauna wants to schlop Jackie, that could be some pretty good evidence. Throwing her as dumb, hot, and awesome is good. And Jackie says that she is still not putting a knife through a fucking deer knee, but resolves to do something else. And Shauna gives Jackie the heart necklace back. Last scene, well not last scene, but most prominently seen in the first scene of the show where it is attached to a person who gets spiked. So even though we know that things turn out a certain way. The necklace, it's a good visual symbol for this person is fucking doomed. And here's the message of this scene, because they call back to Jackie inspiring the team, inspiring Shauna, is that Jackie might not be super great at, like, the physical menial tasks, but what she can do is inspire people, act as a social director, take people's minds off things with fun events. If this were a D&D party, she would be a bard. She can't get up to much stabbing, but she can inspire everybody else to do better stabbing and spell slinging and stuff. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, which she was very good at before, but she will see out here that her abilities to do so have their limits. But yeah, the seed of an idea is planted in her brain. They hug. Shauna looks concerned as they do so. Presumably she is concerned about her, you know, incipient little bun in the uterus. And we cut to the present where Sammy and his moms come back from trick-or-treating. He was dressed as an enormous sandwich, and Biscuit was dressed as a hot dog, and I don't know, Matthew, if I were rumoured to be a cannibal, I probably wouldn't dress my son up as a sandwich for Halloween. I mean, you'd think that cannibals are more interested in eating people than sandwiches, right? Well, no, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't insinuate that my son was a snack food. Well, to a cannibal, everybody's a snack food. Yes, and that is precisely the impression I'd be trying to avoid. <laughs> Yes, but see, they're not attracted. It's like it's like that bit where Peter Griffin goes into the jungle dressed as a clown, and he's like, "See, you guys are stupid. They're going to be looking for army guys." <laughs> oh. oh, I'm so glad we got there. That reminds me of this meme of Prince Harry wearing his camouflage army uniform, but also a high-vis vest with the caption, Mate, do you want to be seen or not? <laughs> yeah. There's briefly a nice normal interaction until Ty uh, opens her mail and sees she has received an ad from Phil insinuating that she is hiding from the truth. And Simone has had a change of heart and now wants Ty to reveal the truth about Phil Bathurst's drago daughter. And then Ty says, what happened to not going low? Which is a, a paraphrasing of Michelle Obama, who said during the Trump election, when they go low, we go high. Which a lot of people said, well, it didn't work out for you, so I guess we also have to go low. Expected me to zig or zag, but I zug. <laughs> Quite. 
And then, so yeah, I, I think actually, oh, lots of interesting, uh, on the other Yellow Jackets podcast, Bloodhive, that is also the name of this episode, shout out, a uh, great podcast. They talk about how Ty and Simone are kind of like Barack and Michelle. So that's an interesting parallel. Uh, definitely listen to that. It's a great podcast. I imagine that if you've heard of us, you've probably heard of them, but just on the off case that you haven't, do so. When Simone says, uh, yeah, well, when these nut jobs come to my house, I'm a little less magnanimous, which I, I really love that. I love Simone. Simone, Simone is... I've been really appreciating her in this rewatch. She's one of my favorite, like, minor, non-horribly fucked up characters. <laughs> Not that there's much competition in that field. As Ty is putting away Sammy's Samich costume, she discovers under his bed a tin of red paint. Oh, no! <laughs> Cut to Adam and Sean are at a club with lots of weird costume-wearing people and sexy, gyrating ladies, one of whom is dressed as a disco ball. And the music in this scene extremely sucks. No wonder these people have to be on drugs to enjoy it. And Shauna feels weird because the patrons are so young and so naked, which, fair, I'd be feeling the same. Adam tells Shauna that she's the most beautiful person here, which, oh, <laughs> that's actually cute. And then he's like, hey, this was like every other weekend at Pratt. Art students will use any excuse to take their clothes off. Wow. Two points. One, <laughs> Adam is basically like a twofer from 30 Rock with always subtly referencing where he went to college. Like, oh, I'm, what, what did I major? Oh, I'm sorry, I was confused. At Harvard, we call them concentrations. Yeah. What a twat. And uh, second of all, I studied arts and was around many arts students. It was not my experience that they would use any excuse to take their clothes off. I don't know, maybe I just didn't get invited to those parties. <laughs> they mask up. Shauna says that she feels like she fell off a Fifty Shades of Grey bus tour, which, what a horrifying concept. I can not imagine any more horrifying event. They decide not to wear masks, and they wander around in the debauchery while a slightly crap song plays. It seemed to consist of some lady saying emergency in a vaguely bored tone of voice. And that is where we leave them, because back in the past, Nat and Trav be hunting, and Travis seemingly cannot find anything to shoot. Uh, they have really great chemistry in this scene. Uh, he is apparently too far behind to ever catch up, according to Nat, because they are competing to see who can kill the most animals. And then Travis says, Is that my fault your lady blood is scaring all the prey away? And then Travis semi-jokingly complains about being surrounded on all sides because that cabin is like the blood hive. Eh? Eh? Uh -huh. eh? I love it when they so say the title of the movie in the movie. <laughs> Quite. Uh, side note, what is a blood hive? Like a, like a hive of blood? I just suppose the Dylan was like, you know, your mind is roiling like a hive of worms and worms don't live in a hive, so it already feels unnatural. Do the yellow jackets become blood jackets if they live in... Oh, blood ah, oh, that'd be such a fucking awesome name for, like, a hideous creature in the Fallout universe. Yeah, or like this series directed by Corpse Grinder. <laughs> anyway, Travis references ancient tribes that made their menstruating women hide in huts while the men were out hunting, but Nat counters that this was merely because the men needed something to blame their failures on. Yeah, mocking expression he gives her after this is really cute. And Travis some shoots some sort of... Like, pheasant, grouse, some sort of beast in midair, which, nice, dude, moving target, good good shot. And he is not as much of a twat about this achievement as one might have expected, and he's like, what was that about me not catching, catching up to you? You know, the really smiling flirtatiously at each other, it's a really cute scene. Um, cut back to the present. Misty arrives at Nat's place. She has brought her an aroma diffuser shaped like an owl. How interesting. And she says that it is scented of Ilang Lang. Is it Ilang Lang or Lang Lang? I've never quite known. 
Yeah, you're talking to the wrong dude. <laughs> well, I'd be really messed up if it was one of both, like Ilang Lang or Lang Ilang. That would just be pointlessly confusing. Anyway, uh, pronouncing the Y is definitely something I would do, so I get why the aforementioned BuzzFeed quiz assigned me as Misty. <laughs> Misty tells Nat that her contact can access the files, but he's being a bit of a D-bag. I like that Misty will torture, murder, and eat people, but will not use profanity. <laughs> Misty only knows this chap by his citizen detective handle. He is a fellow user of her creepy forum, and he is mad at her because she didn't tell him he was stealing a police file. Which is, I have to say, understandable. So he wants to meet in public, and then Nat says, Oh, we'll meet all right, and chuckles ominously. A similar energy to, oh yes, they float. Anyway, cut to Ty, Simone, and Sammy, who are all at the dinner table, and Ty plonks down the can of red paint, which, as you pointed out, it was very irresponsible of him, possibly, to just leave it open with the brush plonked in the middle of it. Yeah, whomever. Like, the, the <laughs> yeah. paint's gonna dry out. Exactly, exactly. And that, You're there's... literally never gonna be able to get that brush out of there. I know, I know. <sighs> just, just shoddy workmanship all around. And then Sammy says, what's that? And Ty's like, maybe you should tell us. We found it in your room. And he just responds, no. Like, what do you mean, no? Ty accuses him of painting the word on their front door. And Simone says, sweetheart, we promise we won't get angry with you. It's, uh, I see the good old good cop, bad cop routine. And like, okay. Okay. He's clearly a young child suffering from some sort of mental issue. So I get why Simone is softballing him here. It's maybe understandable. At the same time, if this was me, my parents would be taking turns thrashing me right now. <laughs> like, it is so... You know, weird to watch these scenes and see him doing things where I'm like, oh my god, I would get absolutely fucking bollocked for doing that. Sammy says he didn't paint the word, looking genuinely anguished, amazing acting from Maiden Stocks. And he says that the bad one did it. The lady in the tree. And the sad fact of this show is, they're all the bad one. Yeah. And Ty says, please stop lying to us. He says, I'm not lying. Sammy... <laughs> Oh, sorry. Sammy dramatically swooshes the lollies on the table onto the floor and runs away. Ah, you did use that word in your notes as well. Yes. Uh, Simone runs after him all concerned-like, but not before looking accusingly at Ty. Uh, I don't know if this is just my upbringing speaking, but as I said, I thought she was being pretty reasonable with him. If I did that, my parents would be screaming the top of their lungs at me. Nat, in, also in the present, is siphoning gas out of her car into a water bottle via her mouth classic which you have apparently also done yeah it fucking sucks yeah. don't do that unless you really need whatever that petrol is in i shan't i shan't misty is questioning whether they will let her take said bottle into the restaurant that they are outside of but that points out that they are more likely to accept that than her taking the rifle in though i'd like to see that too they enter a tacky and geographically unspecifically asian restaurant and walk over to Stallion 99, a ponytailed guy who simultaneously looks kinda creepy and nerdy and also kinda cool. And this fellow assumes that Nat is African Grey, the species of a parrot, and he says that he didn't authorize anyone else to come to this meet, which, again, still sympathizing with this dude. This dude demands to be a part of the operation. He points out that the stiff in this file doesn't exist, meaning Travis's false identity, which Nat clumsily deflects by saying, no shit, cause he's dead. <laughs> And uh, Misty pours some gasoline on the fellow's crotch, and Nat threatens to light his wang on fire with her lighter. If the question is, is me going to jail for lighting your dick on fire with that file? Fucking try me. Amazing acting from Julu. And the fellow wisely acquiesces to this and says that they are crazy, 
And as they walk out, Nat says to Misty, you should ask that guy out. You two have so much in common, which she should. They do. <laughs> Misty doesn't need to like that idea, but like, I think it's a good idea. Anyway, cut back to the fast. And ooh, ooh, I was excited to finally get to this. Cut two. Drum roll, please. Ty and Van are in the past beside a tree. Van is making shush motions. They wait for the other girls to wander away from the area. And then they start making out, and it is really cute and adorable. The good ship Vaisa has set sail, baby. <laughs> and uh, Jasmine Savoy and Liv Hewson have absolutely fucking phenomenal chemistry together. Really, almost all the couples in the show do, apart from Sean and Adam, and even then, sometimes they're, they're making out. Oh, it's so cute. The height, di the, the height difference is so cute. And Van's pushing up against the tree, and they're giggling. Oh, it's so sweet. <laughs> Just uh, prepare audience slash Matthew in advance for me to be really cringy about this couple. Yep, yep. I love them. I'm like, oh man. Why couldn't I have that in high school? I mean, apart from the being stranded in the wilderness part. <laughs> yeah, not even going to go there. They seem very into it, until, that is, Mari screaming interrupts this reverie. Ty does an absolutely amazing sigh-slash-eye-roll, or sigh-roll, if you will, at this development. <laughs> and then Nat laughs, and they walk back to the cabin. Uh, back at the cabin, Mari seems to think there is some kind of spider or object on her. She is frenziedly scratching herself. She was standing under the trapdoor. Interesting. Shauna and Akila run over and don't see anything. There's nothing there, so it is probably a psychosomatic stress reaction. Fun fact, some of my relatives have had that. Like, they hallucinated bed bugs in their sheets when they weren't any. I've definitely, like, woken up from a dream, mm. but not, like, quite been awake and just, like, hallucinated my bedroom wall being covered in a multitude of insects wow and then just freaked out and by the time i actually woke up i was like out of my bed in the doorway <laughs> i've done stuff like that too my my dad when i still lived with my dad he said that sometimes i used to yell in my sleep please don't kill me <laughs> that's probably not a sign of great things going on in your subconscious oh no not the most excellent development though. yeah so yeah ty dickishly yet funnily says must have been the ghost <laughs> and Mari very earnestly is all don't say that at this moment Jackie has a brainwave and suggests having a seance now <laughs> we'll, uh, we'll debate the pros and cons of that at the end of this scene uh, kind of seems like a terrible idea Ty says that's a terrible idea also we're not in middle school anymore I, lo oh, I love Ty so much I love that she's like I'm terrified of the supernatural and anything related to it, because if the supernatural is real, then the man with no eyes is real, and he is waiting for me at the end of my life. The spectre that is both the herald of my own mortality and perhaps the inevitable cause of it will finally get me. So I can't deal with that, so I just have to pretend that oh, I'm just too cool to think about any of this. This couldn't be true, and you're all stupid. I'm definitely not papering over my insecurities with overachievement. Ah! Yeah. I, I, I love her. I truly think she is one of the most fascinating and interesting characters in this show even if she is not always necessarily likable i do not watch a work of fiction to see people that are likable i watch a work of fiction to see people that are interesting and uh jackie implores her to remember how fun that shit used to be and then jackie makes the actually valid point of maybe if we can laugh about this stuff then it would help now okay man i'm just sort of gonna ask your opinion whole seance thing on the one hand, you could see it as like, oh, it's a fun pastime. And as she says, if they can laugh about the potential for hauntings, then they'll feel less bad. On the other hand, do you want to have a seance in a creepy cabin? You know, doesn't that just sound like sort of tempting fate? Like, where do you stand on that? Are you for or against it? 
Well, I mean, if you take all of the possible supernatural accounts into account, yes, then um, you know, it wouldn't seem like uh, the shiniest and most goodest idea ever. What a good, Let's just good word get, choice. Get into contact with these malevolent dudes yeah. around here. Couldn't you do anything else to unwind? Like you guys play soccer, get like a ball of leaves you've taped together and play soccer. Oh, their Walkman's dead. You know they're running out of pastimes here. <laughs> it's that, or. We all just become situationally forest gay. Yeah, or or do a do a big old mushroom soup, but that's coming. <laughs> that should be another thing where we just suggest other fun pastimes they could have done. <laughs> there's, there's only so many times that you can braiding do... your own tampons. <laughs> Braided tampons. Let us know about those guys. Huh. They don't sound good. You can't, uh, you can't uh, play I Spy that many times when the answer is always tree. Actually, actually, on that note, I just want to take your temper to something else. At this point, do you lean more towards that the supernatural and evil spirits in the show are real, or do you think it's all just mental illness and mundane? I think they do a pretty good job of keeping it ambiguous. And that's what I love. I love the ambiguity. But, I but where do all these bloody cards yeah. symbols come from? I have to say that I think when you can see... The cabin guy? Did he carve all those seemingly, before he died? But why and what does it mean? Oh, it's so many cool questions. I, I basically... I'm kind of like... The amount of crazy shit that happens in this show makes me think that at least some of it probably is supernatural, but also I'm not married to that, and I like the not knowing. Question for you. Yes. With all this setup, do you think they're actually going to be able to, like, uh, wrap up all these loose ends in a meaningful and satisfying way? Or Look, do you think it's I'm, all kind of going to be a bit... Eh. I'm going to be completely honest with you. There are a lot of shows I like where the final episodes are by no means like Game of Thrones season 8 level disasters, but also don't perfectly wrap everything up. I think this show can have a satisfying conclusion, but I don't expect every single storyline to. Because I can't think of a single example that happened. Like even shows, I, some of my favorite shows like Twin Peaks and, you know, Legend of Korra, they didn't necessarily do every single plot line perfectly yeah know? but i i do still think and hope that the show will have an overall satisfying ending and wrap up the majority of threads in a satisfying way maybe in five years time i will look back on that and laugh at myself but i hope not so van is doing some hilarious omg this bitch face throughout this scene which i think is just because jackie is talking <laughs> as opposed to the you know content of what she's saying and then laura lee looks over and says the occult is no laughing matter and this is so interesting to me that ty and laura lee are on the opposite ends of the spectrum of religiosity but in a sort of horseshoe theory way uh united in their dislike of seances one because she's so atheistic the other because she's so christian and then jackie says come on shauna tell them it'll be fun and shauna after some hesitation offers the not exactly ringing endorsement of it's not like we have anything better to do and maybe the dead guy can give us some life advice. <laughs> Which was a great, great line read from Sophie Nellis. I just He's dead. What sort of advice do you think would be <laughs> worth taking? I don't know. Maybe he made some smart investments before he died. Anyway, Van like Maybe he died of a heart attack reading the amount of money he would stand to gain from his very wise investing. <laughs> oh, that'd be a cruel irony. <laughs> Van likes this idea more when someone other than Jackie is proposing it, and the others seem to like the idea. Jackie proposes they do it in the attic, the others come around to it, Laura Lee walks away frustratedly. Cut back to the weird sex club. 
in 2021, which reminds me of the Mighty Boosh thing, where it's like, you want to come to a club where people wee on each other? You ever drink Baileys from a shoe? I don't rightly know, so... <laughs> oh, what a great show. <laughs> what would we call our Mighty Boosh podcast? Hmm. Nicey, nicey cast pod? <laughs> okay, well... That'll do as a placeholder. That'll do as a placeholder. And some costumed oddballs are dancing next to them. Shauna is sexually dancing with Adam, and all appears well, until... Shauna looks over and sees Jackie in her yellow jackets uniform, standing on the dance floor, judging her, not looking a day over 17 or whatever. However, could that be? Jackie walks away, and Shauna stares at her retreating back, enraptured, great acting from Melanie Linsky, and follows her. Shauna calls out to Jackie. <laughs> yeah, reaches out to her, and she's actually dun dun dun, Callie! Fuck, uh, Callie is wearing Yellow Jacket's uniform. They both say, what are you doing here at the exact same time? She's like, where'd you get that uniform? She's like, in your closet. He's like, I don't fucking believe you, Callie. I specifically told you to never... But Shauna's chastising tirade is interrupted by Adam suddenly walking over and asking if she's okay. Oh, it seems as if Callie isn't the only one getting up to some naughty stuff this evening. And Callie looks at them and puts two and two together. And... She says that she's apparently on ecstasy, which reminds me of, oh, have you seen the video of Limmy of Livy's show's fame pretending to be eckied up in Ibiza? Oh, <laughs> it's extremely funny. That sound very familiar. That's yes, fucking Limmy. No, I can't recognize me. It's Limmy and the cunt who said to turn the winds against us. No, I can't recognize me. It's Limmy. It's closed. <laughs> yeah. you, you're not getting any of this. <laughs> It's shot. <laughs> oh, well, close enough, anyway. <laughs> I wasn't correct. <laughs> oh, well. Okay. I love that I corrected myself, not correcting you. Okay. Cut to Ty sitting dejectedly at her kitchen table as Simone walks in. And she says, Ari, Sammy, he's asleep, finally. And Ty is like, I'm worried about him. <laughs> Which Simone is like, well, I'm glad you're catching up. <laughs> Which is fair. And Ty says she's been distracted, and Simone is like, you've been worse than distracted. She says that Ty has been exhausted, she's losing weight. Which is very understandable for a certain reason, we'll find out later, and she's generally on the fritz. Simone thinks that what is wrong with Sammy is that he is missing his mom. Which is a fair hypothesis, but I think it's less that she's missing and more that she's present in the wrong areas, shall we say. And Simone says, you know, you never get the time back. And Ty says, doesn't seem worth it, does it? All this just to lose a state senate seat. And I know she didn't mean it this way, but it's hard not to interpret this if you're Simone as if we were winning, this would be totally acceptable collateral damage. <laughs> yeah, amazing performances from the two actresses in the scene. And Ty says, you think I should drop out? And Simone's like, I would never ask you to do that. I just don't want you to have any regrets. Like, Simone, say what you mean. Like, you do want her to drop out. Like, if there's a situation with your partner, you should be like, Look, it's your decision, and I'll support you whatever you choose, but yes, my opinion is that you should drop out. Like, you, you have to say what you mean, you know? Ty strokes Simone's face in a cute way, and she says she'll make an announcement tomorrow. Hmm, I wonder how this will go. <laughs> Even when I watched this the first time, I was like, there is no fucking way she's actually dropping out. Yep, not happening. Ty uh, rides things to the bitter end. No. <laughs> Cut to back in 96. Misty is bringing Coach Ben some tea. To help with the swelling in your leg. Definitely not your cock. Lol. He wordlessly accepts this, still clearly and justifiably cheesed out by her. 
In the attic, Jackie and Shauna are arranging candles, and Jackie says, no, 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 not like that, typical. She instructs her to put them on the marks that are already there, uh, saying that this symbol thing is totally seancey. Oh, Jackie, if only you knew just how seancey it was. <laughs> and Shauna points out, well, like the previous episode with the bullets, isn't this like a waste of candles? And she's like, not if we're getting rid of a ghost. Which is somewhat flimsier justification than the one in the previous episode, but whatever, it's a show. Cut two, some sort of, I'm sure we'll debate on this point. <laughs> Prepare for a note about this at the beginning of next episode, folks. Some sort of beaver, groundhog, or gopher? Some sort of furry creature. My knowledge of the wildlife of the forests of Ontario is not the best. Nat is about to shoot it, but it's this little fucker's lucky day because Travis has taken the bullet out of her gun. Yeah, you gotta take the win, eh? Flex. He then does a disappear e magic trick with the bullet. Yeah, Trav, chicks always go for magicians, totally. Nat correctly points out that girls are not into that. It's like, yeah, Nat, but you do then go on to stop him. So mixed signals. <laughs> Travis then says, so are you saying when I wasn't doing magic, you were into it? They start running around and being cute, and they make out also against a tree. Big romantic tree theme, this app. This is the... I guess you work with what you've got. <laughs> I love their relationship together. I love the, their chemistry and how they get on each other, how they help each other to relax around others. I, I really like the travelly relationship. And they cut a uh, cute, presumably first kiss between them. Not not as much passionate smooching as Ty and Van got up to, but they had a head start on them, so that's fair. <laughs> Remembering adult T-Rav smiling at her post-coitally, adult Travis is still hot. Cut from that to his rather grisly autopsy photo. Eh, hard luck, man. Good acting from Juliet Lewis trying to stifle her tears at this. Misty is also there, looking contemplatively at the photos. They find a strange smudge on one of them. Misty puts all the photos together and connects all of the points together, those titular smudges on the floor in the photograph, ending up drawing a symbol. Namely, the symbol from the woods. Ah, this is bad, Natalie succinctly says. This is wrong, because Travis didn't believe in any of this shit. Then why is it in the place when he died? Misty demands to know. I don't know, but I promise you, he did not put it there. Pretty cool tense scene. Cut to Sean and Callie hanging out at the bar. She says, so, was that your lover? He was pretty hot. And she says that Shauna does have that whole Yellow Jackets thing going for her. And Shauna's like, for your information, he doesn't know anything about that. And Callie rudely but accurately points out that if he has the internet, he does in fact know something about that. And whether it was Callie's intention or not, the statement by her activates Shauna's incredibly long-standing insecurities. She's like, a voice in her head that is always telling her that nobody could like her for her outside of the context of her being Jackie's friend or later a pseudo-celebrity. And then Callie says, when did you fall out of love with Dad? And Sarah Desjardins is great in the scene. Who, who plays Callie? And Shauna says there's a lot of baggage between her and her father. And then Callie says, baggage? You mean Jackie? You guys never talk about her. And Jackie is the shadowy third, which is a literary concept I'm most familiar with in the context of the works of Elizabeth Bowen, which is a third party in a relationship who is not present or ever directly spoken of, but is always there, inextricably tied to both members. Van is not a shadowy third for Simone and Ty, because Simone, I don't think, knows that she exists. But funnily enough, later in the season, Jackie will also become a kind of shadowy third for Travis and Nat. So she's really just putting her fingers in the pies of other people's relationships. <laughs> in fairness, one of which was originally her relationship, so I guess it's kind of understandable. And Shauna says that 
the uniform that Callie is wearing was Jackie's, not hers. And Callie seems horrified and regretful at this. You're telling me I'm wearing some dead bitch's uniform? <laughs> Ugh, gross. That reminds me of this meme of like SpongeBob posing in front of the mirror with the caption, me admiring myself at the Salvation Army store wearing somebody's dead relative's overcoat. <laughs> and Shauna says, her parents gave it to me for her 40th birthday so I could remember her. As if I hadn't spent the better part of my life thinking about her every single day. And Callie says, I'm sorry, Mom. It's just so awful you had to go through all that. And then Shauna's like, oh, bad things happen in life. I'm fine. But then Callie is like, no, Mom, but you're not. You're so not fine. Do you think I can't see that? And Callie does not suck in this scene. You know, she she's actually trying to be helpful and supportive. She does not suck. Woo. This Bit will of a shocking character one eighty there. Indeed, this will not last, and I think as a result of her being on Molly, as she would say. Mm. But be, we had some funny bit we were watching about like, what if you were addicted to Molly and your girlfriend was named Molly and your dealer was also named Molly, <laughs> and you're from the country of Marley. <laughs> and your favorite movie was, was Marley and, and Me. me. <laughs> We're not going to recreate every aspect of that bit. I think we've given you the materials for you to put it together for yourself, listener, like a piece of flat pack IKEA furniture. And Shauna's present day storyline is actually good and interesting in this episode. Finally, thank God, hallelujah. Cut to 96. Everyone is sitting in a circle in the attic, and Jackie is smearing X's of goop on everyone's heads. It is apparently dirt and deer blood, which, ew. I was going to say, like, you can eat blood. You can make a pudding out of blood. You know, you should. Save the blood. Yeah, but you don't make pudding out of dirt. True. But they shouldn't have added dirt to the blood. They should have just used some other thing to smear on. They're teenagers. You know, you can't get that mad at them. Anyway, uh, I love how the, the motif of the X's on the foreheads foreshadows something that will occur later. Jackie raises her hands supplicatorily, and Misty immediately copies her. Uh, classic Misty, try to attach to the highest status person in the group and copy them. Little do you know that that won't be Jackie for much longer. If it even is still now. They lack a planchette, so Shauna is standing blindfolded with a knife on a string, and apparently the shapes that she twirls her contraption into represent a yes or a no. As a cabin guy possesses her, yeah, I'm a little unclear on how it's meant to work, but hey, they're working with what they have. <laughs> Yeah, this is just think like Ouija boards are such a weird concept, you know? Like imagine if you're just some guy that died five hundred years ago in like the Ottoman Empire because a grain silo fell on you, and then the next thing you know, a bunch of thirteen year old girls are asking who Chad from Homeroom has a crush on. <laughs> what, a, what a surreal experience. Anyway, he says Shauna says, It is I, Jacques, in a deep voice. It's kind of funny. And people laugh at it. And Van asks the first question, which is, Dear Dead Hunter Guy, did OJ do it? <laughs> Everyone laughs, and Jackie's like, come on, guys, real questions. It's a real question. It's a very real question. Yeah, Mari asks if Principal Bozonski is screwing Mrs. DeWine, and apparently, he is! It is certain everyone laughs. Akela asks if they hadn't crashed, would they have won nationals? And the knife says no, apparently not. Everybody good-naturedly boos. Jackie looks around the room, beaming. So far, her morale-boosting plan is working. So far. Downstairs, Ty is sharpening an axe with a knife. Laura Lee is reading the Bible and the plane manuals, and Coach is just chill-suffering on the couch. Chill-suffering. Quite. Ty, seeing that Laura Lee is reading the manual, says, If you're thinking about flying that thing, you're even crazier than those idiots upstairs. Which is good, 
albeit rudely phrased advice. And this this is Ty's version of being nice, because even though she says she's crazy, she says the implicit message is we are both right to think that those people up there are dumb. <laughs> and Laurelee says that her grandpa used to fly a Cessna. It can't be that hard. Ty looks at her with a fucking seriously expression. <laughs> <laughs> which Jasmine Savoy is excellent at providing. Laura Lee concedes that it probably is, in fact, hard to fly a plane, but there's no harm in reading about it. And then Ty is like, Coach, are you listening to this? And he's like, no. Which <laughs> is just me, severely tired and exhausted, hanging out with my younger cousin. Just sitting in the corner, chill suffering. <laughs> I love Steven Kruger's performance. He, I don't think... All the great actors in the show, he doesn't get the credit is due. He really brings so much life into this poor, long-suffering man. And the team of party poopers down below hear some laughter from the attic. Harvey, who was apparently also there the whole time, but I didn't notice him, which is the story of his life, says, I'm going to go see what's so funny. And her tie rolls her eyes. The girls are talking about whether one of their classmates' boobs are fake. Which is a bit mean. You know, it's not very nice. It's funny, but it's a bit mean. Nat says they're obviously fake. You really need a ghost to tell you that? Harvey sits next to Travis. He says, I thought I told you to stay downstairs. Good instinct, Trav. Good instinct. He should have. But Harvey survived a plane crash and watched his dad die. Your protective instincts are highly misguided. He's a, you know, I think he can handle a seance. Apparently, boob girl's parents got divorced recently. It could have been guilt money, which, as Mario pointed out, is just creepy. I want to say... I love the subtle, uh, the, the right, the non-expositional nature of the writing of the show, where like they don't provide the intro to this conversation, they just go in in media's razor, and they don't feel the need to put a bunch of exposition as to who this girl is that arguing about her boobs. Of it's good, it's more realistic writing. I prefer it that way. It's not like written by committee. And Van impersonates said girl's father by saying, "Well, honey, your mom and I are splitting up, but don't worry, because your tits are gonna look amazing." <laughs> Another fantastic comedic delivery from Liv Hewson, who I believe is also branching out into being a stand-up comic, so good for them. It's a, it's a great moment, everyone's laughing. Ty enters the attic and sits on a chair off to the side, apparently content to merely watch the idiots upstairs. I'll be here for this, but I won't actually be in the circle because I'm so much smarter than all of you. But I'll be here for it. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, Misty asks very excitedly she's like wow i'm hanging out with other people in a fun event <laughs> this is everything i hoped it would be she's like does the person i like like me back and this oh, i love this moment jackie in response to asking this goes oh at her it's the sort of all oh, you would say it's like oh the family pet is experiencing an emotion look she thinks she's people how twee to quote Bill Bailey, she's like the equivalent of a skateboarding otter. And that is probably the nicest example of how people treat Misty. Misty is awful, but her awful-tude didn't come from nowhere. No. And anyway, the, the, when she says this, uh, there's a really cute, there's a really cute moment where Ty and Van look at each other with their, like, oh, their eyes are saying, like, oh, I like you, me too. Oh, that's so cute. <laughs> ah, sorry for being really emotionally over burdening listener oh, but well, it's so just, cute you're just being you i am the knife swings in a yes direction everybody makes appreciatively erotically tinged sex reaction noises which is how we know that at least up to this point the predictions are not really true because the guy she likes definitely doesn't like her back no now dearest listener if you're thinking 
damn, things have, seem to have been going quite well for our heroes for an unusually long amount of time. Don't worry. <laughs> Harvey then asks, are we all going to die out here? Okay, on, on the one hand, definitely the most useful question that has been asked so far. On the other hand, where to kill the mood, man? And so they'll get a bit more somber in response to that. The great haunting chanting music start that's like that that music the knife moves in a strange pattern that doesn't seem to be controlled by shauna and there is a very evil dead-esque pov shot of something outside heading towards the window the knife forms into an eight and then van is like okay an eight what's that supposed to mean I think it's interesting that Van says this, particularly when you consider the next couple of episodes and her relation to that particular question. And then Amari says, it's not an eight, it's an infinity. And she's like, yeah, okay, whatever, Aristotle. <laughs> it was good. What could it mean if it's an eight? And what could it mean if it's an infinity? I think if it's an eight, it's pretty clear that it's saying there will be eight survivors because there's, spoiler alert, six that we know about. Uh seven it appears likely to be confirmed and maybe one more in addition to that uh if it's an infinity i think you could interpret it as meaning you can leave the woods but the woods will never leave you you know you might leave but your mind will be trapped here forever physically you will always be in this cabin you will never leave the cave mm, you can check in any time you like yeah. but you can never leave quite bring me my wine we haven't had that spirit here shut the fuck up what are you talking about i asked for wine this hotel sucks <laughs> i think i am going to check out anytime i like which is right now it'd be funny it's like as a hotel concierge i greet people who come to the hotel by playing the song hotel california but cutting off before it says california <laughs> okay Lottie looks out of the window, and the POV shot of the something rushes towards her. She begins to scream uncontrollably. The wind blows the window open and extinguishes the candles. Plunged into darkness, Lottie is going, ah! Everyone is freaking out. Jackie, I have to say, quite practically, you know, good job, ask who has the matches. Lottie is hyperventilating, amazing acting from Courtney Eaton. This made me feel really bad for her. Shauna, Van, and Akila are trying to comfort her, but she's still freaking out and hyperventilating and screaming and saying, it wants... Van asks, Misty, what do we do? Which, A, I think that's an extremely Van thing, is trying to sort of attach itself to a more powerful person and then do, you know, take their advice. And I would definitely take Misty's advice over Jackie's. Van subordinates herself to more powerful others, be they Ty or someone else. I would like to see an end to Van's character arc where she can finally stand on her own two feet and trust her own authority. But I don't think this show is that optimistic about human psychology. Mm. I, I think everybody's kind of just gonna get more fucked up as we go along yeah and then mario says lottie i swear to god if you're fucking with us she keeps saying it wants i think she's like possessed travis is just standing around scowling jesus dude you are not the best in a crisis <laughs> lottie says that it is hungry and begins giggling in a terrifying manner and says to shauna it's in you already it's in you. <laughs> Do you think she means the baby or something else? I I think that's what she means. Maybe it's maybe it's like in being John Malkovich, where the baby is a vessel for the dormant consciousness. Yeah. Great movie, by the way. Ty clinging to rationality, and who knows that Shauna is pregnant? 
and presumably can assume that is what is being referred to, says, Lottie, knock it off. This isn't a game. Lottie begins creepily speaking French, a great language to choose. Hmm. And, oh, the funniest exchange of the episode and one of the best of the season is here. Where they're like, Jackie, wasn't she in your class? Yeah, but she sucks at French. Well, what's she saying? I don't know. I suck at French too. And Van is like, well, damn it, Jackie, try not to. Yeah. <laughs> You know how you suck. Just, you know, try suck how less. to not do that. Have you considered not doing that? Yeah. <laughs> uh, poor Jackie. Fun fact, uh, Sophie Nelise is French-Canadian and speaks fluent French. Uh, Laura Lee, alone with Coach, down in the house, overhears these freaky noises from up above. Lottie says, in French, there is blood here. And Lon says, there's blood where, Lottie? And then Ty is like, you really have to be encouraging her, Van. <laughs> Second time in the episode she says that. <laughs> and Van gives Ty a hilarious, bitch, do not test me, expression. <laughs> and asks if there is blood here or out there. Downstairs, Laura Lee implores Coach to do something, make them stop. And Coach is too busy looking very ill to do so. Lottie then says in English, you must spill blood. Lottie then smashes her fucking head into the window. <laughs> Coach aggressively vomits. When I first saw this, I was like, oh, fuck, he's dead. And hilariously, Laura Lee just leaves him and runs upstairs. Like, I'm, I'm sure she went and checked on him afterwards, but, you know, if I were him, that would inspire a lot of confidence if I was, like, being incredibly sick and vomiting and the one person then just ran out of the room. It's like, oh, okay, I guess I can just deal with this. Yeah. Don't worry about that. Yeah. You'll be right. Lottie's forehead is bleeding. I think it is very important in terms of what happens later in the season that Van is one of the people trying to help Lottie. Laura Lee runs up to her and yells, The power of Christ compels you! The power of Christ compels you! And thrusts a Bible towards her. Van has another hilarious, really, expression at this development. After this method does not work, Laura Lee just fucking throws the Bible at Lottie. And this calls her to instantly snap out of it and go, Oh, what the hell, Laura Lee? She's completely back to normal, apparently. <laughs> and Mari asks the very pertinent question, what the motherfuck just happened? Very valid. Cut to 2021, where modern-day Ty is at a press conference. She kisses Simone adorably before she and Sammy step onto the sidelines. Ty explains why she called all these folk here on such short notice. Again, let me be a broken record about the fact that this is a state senate race. This many reporters would not give a shit, even if she was a minor celebrity and rumoured cannibal. But also, it's a show. She looks at her notes on which she has written, My opponent, Phil Bathurst, has waged a worthy campaign. But before her eyes, his name changes to Spill. Reminding her of just how much people hunger to find out the truth. Simone then looks promptingly at Ty, who has a really great sort of cheeky smile in response to that. Oh, God, I love 20 Cyphers so much, dude. And she says, I knew when I started this campaign that I was getting into a bloody business, but I believed it was important. My opponent has been scaring people with lurid insinuations, and his supporters have been lapping it up. Creepy music begins playing as Ty strides over to her doors and pulls off the sheet covering the spill graffiti. Aha! She's going to blame it on her opponent's minions despite knowing that her son did it. How manipulative and underhanded. Or did he? And she says, Yesterday someone defaced our home with his disgusting taunt. And this monologue from Ty is fucking amazing, so I'm just going to do it unedited if that's okay. No. 
<laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Since everyone seems so fixated on this, here's what I will say about the time I spent in the wilderness. It's not sensational, but it is the truth. In life, sometimes we encounter obstacles that are so enormous we can only face them with the help of our community. And that's as true today in New Jersey as it was out there. So here's my commitment to you. No matter what gets written on my door, I am staying in this race. Because together, we can do anything. I believe that. Just a scene that she absolutely crushes. I think this is a very important moment in the season. It's a tie doubling down on her path. She refuses to turn back damn the consequences because when she was in the woods she learned that sometimes the violent path works together we can do anything just not necessarily anything good and in the crowd she sees oh the fucked up man with no eyes is is he connected to her ambition her self-repression is almost every aspect of her character from her ambition to her reactionary skepticism a reaction to sheer terror of the man with no eyes and by extension, her own death. What do you What do you think about the man with no eyes? Do you think he's real, or do you think he's a hallucination? Well, I've only really seen him as a hallucination, so I mm. have to imagine that he's a hallucination. No, yeah, but like, do you think he's probably a mental illness, or do you think he's a real evil spirit that only she can see? Well, it's hard to say. <laughs> it's very hard to say. Oh, you've seen the movie Lake Mungo, right? Um, you have. We watched it together. <clears throat> Okay, then I guess I have. The the fact that the young woman in that is haunted by a premonition of her own death. She, like, sees a specter of her own corpse. It could be something like that. Maybe Ty will, in some sense, become the man with no eyes. Hmm. Oh, man, it's... That, of all the storylines in season two, that is maybe the one I'm most hyped for. I mean, I'm hyped for all of them, but, you know, that one especially. For a second, Ty looks terrified at seeing the man with no eyes. Then she switches back to basking in her own brutal determination. <laughs> and then says re you know everybody being able to do anything they put their mind to it i've seen it happen you certainly have simone gives her a i have to say understandable what the actual fuck look and we cut away from that laura lee is trying to scrub away the symbols from the floor of the attic but she cannot because they're like carved onto it dude just stop doing that misty is out of the front of the cabin at the mirror when ben on crotches walks up to her and he accuses her of poisoning him, and he's clearly very angry. And Misty's like, that's a very strong word. <laughs> and, he, and Misty is like, I have these feelings for you, and I... This is some great, what I can only term, acting-acting from Steven Kruger. You know? He's acting to be acting. Acting to be acting? Yeah, he's pretending. You know? He's pretending to be a character who's pretending. It's double acting. Is that like if an anime and an anime is a real... No, it's <laughs> he's acting, and also the character he's playing is acting. Yeah, no, I get it. Oh, okay. <laughs> Didn't realize you were just uh, fucking with me. Anyway, anyway, uh, he says, "I feel the same way you do." And he says, "When you get close to me like that, it frightens me." And that's one part I believe. <laughs> he's scared he won't be able to control himself. Missy says he doesn't have to be scared. But he's like, "No, no, I do. I mean, you're." Long pause, do what he probably thought about saying fucking nightmarish. Not even 18. Uh, he says they must keep her emotions a secret. And I think this is basically his way of being like, I need to find a way to de-escalate the situation that will also not cause her to fucking murder me. And then he says that he, she helps him to be strong. Which I think is true. I think it's just true in the opposite way that she thinks. Because 
it's actually in the sense that you helped me to be strong because you scared the shit out of me. Mm. Which still works. Got to inside. Akila, wearing a rather lovely jumper, I must say, says, do we think it's still up there? Ty does what she does best, ordering people around for their own good. She's like, you all need to stop. There's nothing up there. She correctly, if a bit insensitively, points out that Lottie's been acting weird for weeks. And Van, for one, looks very sceptical of this assurance. And Lottie, whose head is now bandaged, is sleeping oddly peacefully in her cute herringbone pajamas. <laughs> Poor girl, I just want to give her a hug, you know? Poor girl. Sean and Jackie are lying beside each other, uh, which has been their usual sleeping arrangement up until this point. Ty, to prove that the attic is safe, says that she will sleep there. And she asks, who's with me? Initially, nobody is, and she's like, fine, more room for me then. I will definitely say this for Ty. I think you've got to give her this. She isn't afraid to, like, put her money where her mouth is, and she isn't afraid to take the unpopular stance, you know? She swims against the current. Just keep swimming. Good advice. Van shakes her head, which, oh, I both love in a writing sense and am heartbroken by in a fan sense how, even in the very first episode where they're confirmed to be a couple, the very issue that will ultimately drive them apart is also shown, which is their differing attitude to the supernatural. Yeah. And well, like, every Scully's got to have a molder. It's odd. Oh, it's such a good, it's such a good comparison because A, Van loves the X Files. B, oh, they are such Scully and Mulder. Oh man, and she's also redheaded. Oh man. There you go. You know, she just has the biggest thing for Gillian Anderson. I hope she makes it out of the woods and she, she can blame her. Yeah, no, Gillian Anderson's really hot. I wonder what her her opinion is on the seasons where David Duchovny is replaced by the other guy. Mm, yeah i don't know that's a very dicey subject isn't it yeah very divisive sort yeah. Of topic at some point i haven't seen much of the x-files i'll have to ask you who has seen all of it how to rank the seasons well uh definitely one to eight go before anything else i see i see okay it was one of those ones that declined as it went on okay yeah and it's like the last few mainly because of you know t2 guy you know replacing david duchovny and then after that it was just like so long in between the original series that they just kind of lost their mojo t2 guy like train spotting 2 or terminator 2 uh, terminator 2 robert patrick there you go excellent glad we got to the bottom of that anyway like van i get why you don't want to go up there after what happened but this is a great opportunity for sexy times with your girlfriend in the attic you know make some more mysterious banging noises <laughs> <laughs> everybody down below would be like man the ghost is really making a racket <laughs> that was the harrowing harrowing do you think they ever do like x-files themed role play oh that's, uh, oops that's cute okay I, I can't entirely blame van van looks regretful but ultimately does not sway from her course either shauna says to jackie that we should go up there with her and jackie doesn't like that idea and shauna's like she shouldn't be up there by herself. It wasn't for us. And Jackie is like, what happened tonight was not because of our stupid seance. And I have to say, in one sense or another, supernatural or mundane, I really think it was. Jackie says that it is Shauna's decision. Cut to modern day. Callie walks into the kitchen hungover, and spoiler alert, she's back to sucking. <laughs> Shauna picked her up some Pedialyte. It might help with her stomach. Callie says that, uh, I don't have a curfew anymore. And any Ubers into the city are going to be no question asked. Or else she will tell Jeff about Shauna's affair with Adam. And Shauna, in an amazing sort of like mock parental tone, asks Callie if she has heard of the concept of mutually assured destruction. Of which, of course, she's like, oh, I, I invented it, <laughs> motherfucker. And like clearly still has no yeah. idea what it even means. I know. Yeah. What are you, Al Gore? <laughs> 
That's not even an accurate joke because he never actually said he invented the internet, but it's still funny. Anyway, uh, Shauna fleshes out the scenario that would result from that confession. Given the divorce lawyer expense involved, that would rip through Callie's meager college fund, and Jeff would demand her to spend a time with him in his sad little single-man apartment, and later he would demand that she give him dating advice, which she would be able to give because he would be dating girls about her age. This information makes Callie less likely to tell Jeff about said affair. Callie then tells Jeff that she snuck into the city last night and got eckied up. Jeff responds by saying, Well, Cows, that's very disappointing. Lying is very uncool. Like, <laughs> I don't want every episode of this podcast to be just me going, these people's parents are so leaning and my parents would have beat the shit out of me. Meh, 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 meh. Well, <laughs> I don't want that to become this because A, it probably makes people think that my parents were like psychotic, which they weren't. They were just a lot stricter than these people and it probably gets old. But like, if I did that, my dad would be yelling at me. You know, like, Jesus Christ. I You'd at least have no Mass Effect for three weeks. Definitely. Back in the past, Shauna makes a decision to relocate to the attic. And they're apparently sleeping with just blankets on the hardwood floor. Jesus Christ, that would fuck up your back. I don't know. It's not necessarily bad for your back to sleep on a hard wooden floor. It's like the bit in. I thought it was good for your I, back, I, actually. Well, I'm not an expert. There's a... Listeners, write in with your right opinions in. about what surface you should be sleeping on for optimal back health. That just reminds me of the bit in Legend of Korra where Pema is telling the story to Tenzin about like, oh, when I first became an air acolyte, I had to sleep on the beds that were really hard and I was really homesick. And Tenzin's like, it's actually better for your back. Yeah. She See? just, she just looks at him like... Ugh. It's like, you might be right, but I still hate you. Yeah, oh, it's such a good show. Shauna... It's very interesting in the scene because what motivates her decision here? Because Ty hasn't, like, in the coming episode, she will be closer with Shauna, but she isn't super close with her yet. What motivates her here? Is it wanting to make up for her role in promoting the seance? Simple concern over Ty. Feeling that Ty is a better leader than Jackie, which, understandable. Subconsciously not wanting to be around Jackie out of guilt. Some combination of those or something else entirely. I don't know. What's so great about the show is that the characters are so great and complex that you can think of multiple different motivations for every action. Probably just because they don't over-splain everything. Ex one, exactly what I was talking about before in the seance scene with Boobs Girl. That's that's what's so great about them. Which is not a great descriptor because it's virtually all... It's, boobs Girl! <laughs> the sentence movie was Homer was like, Thank you, boob lady! <laughs> Shauna says that she was going to keep Ty company, if that's okay. It is okay. She nods. They sleep beside each other. Or they lie down beside each other. And Ty asks, how far along are you? Is this the best time, Ty? Shauna confirms that she has a bun in the uterus. Ty promises not to tell anyone, but wisely points out that if we're stuck out here long enough, I have a feeling it'll come out one way or the other. <laughs> Could you not have phrased that any other way, Ty? <laughs> Not with all the effectualness intact. Right. I love how this episode is another further example of Shauna moving out of Jackie's orbit into Ty's. Because while Ty is definitely not without her faults, she never makes Shauna feel judged. <laughs> Ironically, that's something that Jackie accuses Shauna of in this episode. And despite Jackie's usually good intentions, she often makes Shauna feel judged. I love the shot that we end the part of this episode on of Sean and Ty sleeping beside one another, both scared but clearly drawing strength from each other's presence. I love this relationship. I love how close they get. 
and how complimentary they are to each other. They, it's one of my favorite friendships in the whole show. Cut to the present. Uh, Shauna is Googling herself, probably inspired by Callie's needling the previous night. She sees pics of herself, uh, the snapshot of a wiki article about the crash. Oh my god, I wish I could read that wiki article. <laughs> An article. You, you fucking tried too. <laughs> I definitely did. Uh, paused it and went through it with a fine tooth comb. You know me, I definitely am not obsessive though. Uh, an article about Shauna and Jeff's marriage, though we cannot see the content. It does feature the line, another deceased yellow jacket, which, wow, they just weren't hiding it, huh? A Reddit post, lol, because of course, with some guy, I mean, I assume, maybe not a guy, asking if any surviving yellow jackets are single, which is exactly what would happen. <laughs> A semi-obscured article about the plane manufacturer being sued by the families of Laura Lee and Lottie. Viewed in light of developments later in the season, that is very interesting indeed. Mm. Jeff's mum's name is Linda, perhaps explaining the vehemence of Shauna's earlier game show contestant insulting comment, Linda, you dumb bitch. You dumb bitch. And we cut away from Shauna to Ty, who has arrived at Nat's place looking really cool in her aviators. Apparently people won't stop trying to interview her, which, let me just be a broken record and say, nobody cares this much about state senate. <laughs> if the Lindbergh baby, Albert Fish, Charles Manson, Amelia Earhart, and Elvis turned up and started running as a joint ticket for state senate, this many people would not give a shit. Hey, I don't know, man. That'd <laughs> probably create a bit of a rebel. That is what we in the business call a comedic exaggeration. Uh, Ty asks why Nat called her. Nat simply shows her the pictures with the symbol. Nat tells her about Travis's death. Ty looks confused and says, who would do that? Why? Which is an interesting reaction. God, I'm ever using that word. Who cares? The show is interesting. They both <laughs> then, at that very moment, receive a text demanding they gather 50k cash and await further instructions and not to contact their teammates because I will know. I have to say that all caps is not very intimidating. It just makes it seem like it's being done by a mean-spirited 13-year-old girl on Live Journal. Really, really nice ASCII art of the symbol. I've always admired people who can do that. Did I tell you, Matthew, about the time when I was a child and I went on the Wikipedia page for Happy Feet and somebody had replaced it with ASCII art of people fucking each other? Oh! Oh, no! And the word libido hundreds of times. <laughs> Which I innocently asked my dad, Dad, what does libido mean? And he said in his most sort of straight-laced middle-class way, libido means a sexual urge. <laughs> Shout out, Dad. I love you, man. Uh... He's a great guy. <laughs> Very sort of like, this is going to be a difficult conversation somewhere down the track. <laughs> I was surprised I escaped this for this long. <laughs> <laughs> Ty tells Shauna that Travis is dead, and Shauna says she already knows. Uh, over the phone, that is. And we cut to Misty watching all of this from the hidden camera in her nocturnal avian ilanglang dispenser. <laughs> Which I feel, I feel like at this point, you should just be x-raying all of Misty's gifts automatically. Yeah. I'd probably yeah, be a wise person. Natalie, kind of freaked out by this discovery, asks how she knows this. Ty says that Misty called Shauna. Natalie responds by saying, That conniving, poodle-haired little fucking freak. Despite everything she has done and is currently doing, I still felt bad for Misty when she looked really sad in response to this. And that is where we end.
the episode. And I gotta say, this was such a good fucking episode, dude. Like, after last week's more of a mixed bag, this show is thoroughly back on track of setting up so many interesting character conflicts and new character relationships. Amazing seance scene. Great. It's, this episode is just like, it has everything you want out of a Yellow Jackets episode. Some action, comedy, drama, romance, fucked up spooky shit. Great episode. Definitely the best episode since the first two. Uh, do you have any further thoughts on this, my good man? Yeah, probably about as good as it gets without a mushroom soup. Oh man, we are both so fucking hyped for that episode. Oh, I'm pretty hyped, man. I, I would be astonished if that episode is less than like two hours long. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, don't have any further thoughts, my friend? Mm, no, not usually. Well, I don't either. So that is another episode over with thank you very much listeners for tuning in to this episode of out of the woods be well and remember we're not out of the woods yet hey it's Paige desorbo from giggly squad high quality fashion without the price tag say hello to quince I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.